Have you ever wondered what a newly ordained priest does on his first day in his new assignment? Or are you curious about the historic church buildings in St. Louis? Did you know that a nun can also be a clinical psychiatrist? From the Rome of the West, this is the Catholic Gateway Podcast, your audio gateway into the Archdiocese of St. Louis. On each episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast, we'll tell the stories about the interesting people, places, and events that make up the Archdiocese of St. Louis. We'll also give an update on Catholic news, courtesy of the reporters from the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine, the official publications of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So with trust in the Holy Spirit, let's begin. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. My name is Gabe Jones. On this edition, you'll hear my interview with the two priests who were ordained by Archbishop Carlson this past May. The interview took place on June 30th, their first day in their first parish assignment. They share what life is like as a newly ordained priest and what they're looking forward to during their first year. You'll also hear part one of an interview with Joe Kenny and Lisa Johnston of the St. Louis Review and Catholic St. Louis Magazine about a trip they made to Bolivia recently to report on the missionary activity so generously supported by the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Part two of that interview will be available in next week's episode. We begin now with my interview of the two new priests. And as you see the disciples sent out in twos, there's that notion that when you're sent, you're sent with one of your brothers. This past May, two priests were ordained by Archbishop Robert Carlson as priests of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Hello, this is Father Kent Pullman of St. Francis of Assisi. And this is Father Scott Scheider from St. Margaret Mary Alico Parish. Their vocation stories, as most vocation stories are, involve many twists and turns as they sought to follow God's call. Father Schneiderer came to St. Louis from Colorado in order to study social work at SLU. Father Pullman worked in radio before entering Kenrick Lennon Seminary. St. Louis Review reporter Jennifer Brinker profiled both men in the Living Our Faith section of the June 6th through 12th edition. You can find that story titled Called to Joy online at stlouisreview.com. Father Schneiderer has now been assigned to St. Margaret Mary Alico Parish in Melville, and Father Pullman is assigned to St. Francis of Assisi in Oakville. On the first day of their new assignment, they joined a few other priests at the Poor Clares Monastery in Oakville for Vespers and the solemn chanting of the Te Deum in thanksgiving for their share in the priesthood. Afterwards, I sat down with them to discuss their expectations for their first year as a priest and some of the things they are most looking forward to in their ministry. Here's Father Pullman. Well, there's the obvious ones. The offering of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, just getting into the confessional, absolving people of sins, to actually being an instrument of God's mercy, especially in this year of mercy. Um, then, But then there's just the, uh, the joy of being that visible sign of Christ uh, walking among us. And that comes across very clear more so by the, by the interactions I have with people than some sense of just some feeling that I'm ordained a priest. So that interaction with God's people uh, really does help. So I just look forward to more of that, that pastoral ministry. 
Father Scheiderer shared similar hopes. Of course, all the, uh, you know, the sacramental aspect, saying the Mass is just incredible. Uh, just, it's just so wonderful. Uh, today was the 40th Mass, I've said, which was, uh, I'm keeping track, of course. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was just very fitting. You know, it's just a very holy number. And uh, to be the first Mass at Margaret Mary Alico was my 40th Mass, um, said, uh, and celebrated. Um, so yeah, it was it was very special. Um, you know, I was I was nervous. I didn't sleep much last night, and just excited to get going. And yeah, so both excitement and and nerves. Likewise, so really looking forward to being in the confessional. It's just been such an edifying experience just to see people um, just you know bearing their souls and and to be able to help and and just get like right to the heart of things. Um, it's just such an incredible. Uh, being God's instrument uh, in that sacrament. It's just, do not allow these words to be anything but yours, Lord. Um, and so it's it's incredible. So just walking with people and, and uh, in their in their relationship with Christ, it's it's just such a humbling experience, um, to say the least. Um, Actually, you know, along those lines, with, with confession, and, but also the extension of just the pastoral counsel that a priest offers, it's that bearing of the soul to the priest, it's, the, it's Christ's work uh, that we become instruments in, and it's just, it really is amazing. Yeah. I want to go back. To, you said you were counting your masses. Is that something you're going to continue oh, yeah. throughout your yeah. show? I mean, yeah. you plan to, like, Yeah, it was actually it? Uh, Bishop Rice, um, as a gift to all of our class, he bought us each a, a mass log. And so um, I've been keeping track of, of every Mass I've been saying. Um, this this past month, since we had almost a month off before we started our assignments, which was very nice because I'm originally from out of town. Um, so I travel around a lot, went to a lot of places in Colorado, Kansas City, Minnesota, um, just driving a little uh, rental Chevy Sonic. You know, I at the end when I turned in my rental car, uh, 4,600 miles, which was pretty, which was incredible. And so I was just kind of saying mass all over the Midwest and the West, and it's just, uh, it's been amazing. So I got a whole log of everything, you know. So cool. it's, it's, Are you doing the same thing? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm keeping my mass intentions as well. I don't have them, I wasn't actually paying attention to the tally uh, all that, as, as closely, and, although I do think you're ahead of me a little bit. I think you've, uh, I think you've. <laughs> There's been a few Sundays there where I took over. Like last week, I was at Saint Elizabeth of Hungary, which was wonderful, and I basically, you know, said all the masses there in for Father Martin. So that was that was really cool. It's not just offering mass that is exciting for these two new priests. They feel a special call to share God's love with their parishioners, especially having been ordained during the Year of Mercy. Well, I, yeah, I think in, in one, I, th- I mean, we have talked about already just the sacrament of confession. I mean, that's. You see so much in just in the celebration of Mass, you know, God, you know, heaven coming down to earth, you know, to sanctify us and, and just to bring us closer to himself. And um, I, it's kind of interesting. I grew up in a, in a parish in Colorado, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and, and now my first parish assignment is St. Margaret Mary Alico. So I, it's really cool to see his connection. And I, I kind of see, you know, that, that love, you know, that devotion to the love of love of God, you know, um, you know, which is that, that, that mercy poured out upon us. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much to take in, and uh, we're so blessed with our, our Holy Father Francis, you know, just uh, calling this this year and, and calling us to reflect deeper on, on the mystery of mercy. Um, so I've, I've been able to do that. I did a talk at one of my other parishes on mercy specifically in the corporal works of mercy, spiritual works of mercy. Um, so, yeah, I've had many opportunities to reflect on it. So I think, and God was kind of all, I think, really preparing for that in many ways, you know, to be ordained in the year of mercy. Well, that's uh, definitely a big question to answer. That's uh, Father Anthony Gates, pastor, pastor of St. Francis of Assisi Parish in Oakville, where Father Pullman is now stationed. I asked him about having a newly ordained priest under his care. You know, being able to share the journey of a newly ordained priest is a blessing. And being so young myself, only ordained uh, six years, you know, I still have, have fresh feelings of my first assignment and being, being able to, uh, you know, celebrate the sacraments. And I think that's the most uh, important thing that a new priest looks forward to is uh, being able to celebrate Mass and to hear confessions and, and to be with the people of God and to really bring them, you know, closer to Christ. And so it's exciting to be able to do that together with Father Pullman. I'm looking forward to, to working with him and uh, however long the Archbishop allows him to stay with me. So I'm really looking forward to working with him and uh, having him assist me in the pastoral care of the people of St. Francis. So uh, The people of South County are really excited to meet him. I know our parishioners are looking forward to him coming and, uh, and uh, being able to uh, be with him and introduce themselves to him um, and uh, be able to pray with him. And the people at St. Francis are uh, love their priests, and, and they are really supportive of, of, of us. So. so why did these two new priests come to the Poor Clares Monastery on their first day in the new assignment to offer a holy hour with fellow priests? Father Yates says it's in part due to a connection with his, and now Father Pullman's, new parish. To be here at the Port Clare Monastery is a blessing to be able to pray with him and to offer thanks to God for his, his priesthood. And, um, you know, the Port Clares have a special relationship with, uh, with, with St. Francis, you know, as it goes back many years as the Franciscans staffed the parish at St. Francis there. And so, um, you know, people of the, of the parish have a, a love for the sisters here too, so there's still a connection um, with our parish and, and the monastery. So it's, it's really neat that he can come here and to celebrate this holy hour um, at the monastery. So. Father Pullman sees it as the beginnings of a fraternal bond. The importance of fraternity has really been fostered by Archbishop Carlson. Um, the, the notion that, you know, we're not loners, we're not uh, uh, just kind of uh, rulers onto ourselves. We're in relation to our bishop and our brother priests, and especially being ordained with uh, Father Scott Scheider, my uh, meditations have uh, often gone to the notion of Christ sending the disciples out in twos, and I I just love that because a priest is an altar Christus, another Christ, and yet. It's not like, but, but it's a participation in his priesthood. And as you see the disciples sent out in twos, there's that notion that when you're sent, you're sent with one of your brothers. And so to begin our, our pastoral ministry in the parish where we're sent, that, that begins in the context of fraternity with priests. And, I mean, it, this is, goes back to Genesis. It is not good for man to be alone. And that, uh, that brother priests get together and strengthen their identity as priests, as men, as spiritual fathers, and as brothers. 
I couldn't have come up with a better way. And things came together so smoothly and so wonderfully in the context of being with our religious sisters, the poor Claire's. I mean, I really think it was providential. I also asked Father Pullman about the significance of singing the Te Deum. It has a, a great significance in the church. It's Well, it's a traditional hymn of praise and thanksgiving to God. And the tradition is that, I believe, when St. Ambrose basically gave St. Augustine the, the works with the, the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, holy communion, um, that they spontaneously burst out into this hymn of the praise and thanksgiving that was written down. And it, you have St. Ambrose, who was the inspired composer of the Ambrosian hymns, St. Augustine, I mean, late have I loved you, O beauty, ever ancient, ever new. Two church fathers that had profound influence on the, the church, not only being church fathers, but also providing that, that beauty that really can't be separated from the church. Pope Francis has repeated what Pope Benedict and I believe St. John Paul the Great uh, wrote about um, the way of beauty being just fundamental to the new evangelization. And it's a beautiful hymn, both in what it says, but also the way it's expressed in the traditional uh, compositions. So, how did the first day go? So far, the first day has been a lot of the basics, showing him where his room is, <laughs> showing him where he could park his car, uh, how to get in and out of the building. <laughs> Nothing too exciting yet, but uh, definitely uh, things to come. He'll have uh, Mass first thing in the morning uh, tomorrow, uh, his first, first assignment, I guess, so to speak, first thing I asked him to do. But, like any good pastor would, Father Yates took the first morning Mass and let Father Pullman have the later morning Mass. I am here with St. Louis Review reporters Joe Kenny and Lisa, photographer Lisa Johnston. Uh, they recently made a trip to Bolivia down in South America and uh, did some amazing reporting. The pictures and the writing has been incredible about their experience visiting the missionaries from the Archdiocese of St. Louis down there. So I wanted to bring them on the podcast today and talk to them about their experience and why they went down and, um, and hear a, bit, a little bit about the story. So Joe and Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Well, Gabe, it's more than a pleasure to be in this little koopy hole <laughs> deep inside the, <laughs> the bowels, the of, bowels the of the Cardinal Regali Center. That's right, yeah. yes. We're here to have some fun. It's a good thing we're not on video here because it would be, it would be oh, quite... Oh, we're the, putting a picture up of this. <laughs> yes, it would be good to talk about it. <laughs> so um, uh, I wanted to, I guess let's just lay the, the land, get the lay of the land first. So Bolivia is where you went. Um, that's way down in South America. Um I did some research. It's it's roughly the size of like uh, Missouri and Kansas, Iowa, Arkansas, Can uh, Oklahoma, all put together. Um, so it's it's a fairly decent sized country. Um, so tell me, where did you guys go exactly when you were down in Bolivia? Where in the country did you go, and uh, and why now? You know, why 2016? I mean, what's the? Is it, well, obviously, uh, we've had missionaries there for 60 years. We'll get to that in a little bit. But so, why 2016? Did you go down? Well, it is the 60th anniversary, and it's a good time to go down. Um, the priests are very active. Uh, the community is very active, and it's a good time to tell their stories. Uh, we flew into La Paz. You fly in at 16,000 feet, 
uh, where the airport is, and you go down into La Paz, which is uh, in, a, in a bowl, basically. Mm-hmm. It's uh, on the side of the mountains. So we went there, and that's where the parish of Maria Reina is, where St. Louis priests are at. There's also Sisters of the Most Precious Blood that serve there. And then we went to Cochabamba to visit some of the Pani Amor programs. Those are programs that support uh, programs serving children who are uh, who have been abandoned. Um, and also we went uh, to Calamarco, where there's a parish where the priests just visit uh, like once a one week out of a month. Wow. Yeah. Lisa, um, I want to just say some of the photos that came out of this were incredible. Um, and we can talk a little bit about some particular ones in a, in a second. But what was your experience? Um, you know, you said something earlier before we start hit record here about um, the, the experience of flying in and when you get there and just kind of what that's like. Okay. Well, Gabe, get ready for this <laughs> yeah. story. Lisa, so. Lisa's <laughs> stories are always great. I'm glad we're finally getting to record them. So. Okay. Well, here's a scoop. Um, before I left, everyone warned me. Oh, you know, the shots are going to be terrible. We've got to get yellow fever, got to get malaria, got to get the typhoid vaccination, you know, all this. And they said, but what's really bad is, you know, the altitude. When you get down there, you know, it really affects you and it makes you really tired. And I thought, sure, it does make you tired. I never get tired. You know, I'm go, go, go. <laughs> and I thought, that's And if that. anybody knows Lisa, <laughs> that's entirely accurate. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> well... Anyway, I, I just thought it would be business as usual. This won't happen to me. But let me explain, however, what happens when the plane lands uh, at the airport in La Paz. Okay, so like Joe said, you're up at like 16,000-some feet. And I thought, okay, this is good. And then they de- depressurized the cabin and opened the doors. And I, you know, sat up in my seat and I thought, Oh, I'm tired because, you know, well, we've been traveling all night. It's okay. You know, you might feel a little sluggish. Anyway, then, Gabe, when you stand up and you go to walk, this is what happens. All of a sudden, you get up and the whole world is spinning. I mean, and I mean like spinning like, okay, I'm on a merry-go-round. Uh-huh. It's like spinning that fast. And I get up and then... I tried to get up, and then there's like an elephant sitting on your chest. I, I you think that was breathe. one of your tweets, wasn't it? Was yes, it that's yeah. exactly what it's like, though. <laughs> yeah. It was really crazy. And so anybody who's been to Denver, that's nothing. Yeah, Denver's it's, nothing. No, yeah. no. This is this is the highest capital city on the planet. Yeah. This is high up there. I mean, yeah. you know, I guess we could go to Everest. But right, Mo. The, <laughs> the Andes this, this are pretty enough, tall. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so talk a little bit then about, um, obviously, the, the geography of La Paz and Bolivia in general is uh, is different than, than here in Missouri. Uh, Absolutely capital, different. You know. Yeah. So what then is the um, you know the demographics, the people, the what you saw, the the uh, makeup, you know, socioeconomic uh, yeah. makeup of, of the area. Talk a little bit about that. Okay. All right, Joe. Joe. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a million people in La Paz, and there's another million people in an area called El Alto. It's a uh, city that's grown up on the top of the plains that are above where, where La Paz is. So that's a lot of people. They're packed in together very tightly. Uh, packed, the people in, in, packed in vertically, Joe. Yes, and La Paz <laughs> is built, I mean, it literally on the side of these mountains. So everywhere there's a hill. 
you know. Uh, no, no, Hill doesn't describe right. it. it. It's, it's pretty much it's like. Like a cliff. Almost. What is that? <laughs> what, what degree yeah. is that? In, in 90 degrees. Yeah. Nine, that's yeah. Almost, yeah. yeah. 60 degrees. Yeah. 60 degrees. 60 degrees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very high. And so the people, you know, they've. They're they're constantly building as well, so the houses are half finished, and mm-hmm. it's uh, there is there is where we are where the where the the mission is is in the poorer area, and it's more more native people. Uh, there also is in the downtown area and a little bit past that. There's more middle class areas, but we weren't we weren't really in there. But the the vast majority of it is is more the poorer people that are living, mm-hmm. and and they're a little farther away. The farther away you go. Especially the El Alto is where a lot of the people are coming in from the countryside because they're they're not able to make a living in the country anymore, so they're coming to the city. Well, and that's right where our missionaries are, right in the poorest of the poor, the, right. the neighborhoods yes. that really need it the most. So um, let's talk a little bit more about the history. We said, you said 60, the 60th anniversary of uh, archdiocesan priests having this relationship. I think there's a really neat point in the magazine article, Catholic STL magazine, um, and, and by the way, for anyone listening, uh, make sure you go pick up the Catholic STL magazine and or Catholic St. Louis magazine and the St. Louis Review from a couple weeks ago. Uh, there are some amazing photos of uh, from from Lisa and, and uh, Joe's storytelling, uh, explaining their trip and, and what they saw. Um, and in, in, and oh, next week's edition as well. And of next the week's review. edition of the review, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. some 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 more. Uh, but there's a note in here about um, the. Uh, uh, what was it? The, the the Archdiocese of St. Louis sending the priests down there uh, 60 years ago? That was the first mission of a United States diocese to another country. Yes, that's really cool because here we are in the gateway to the West. You know, the the, the Rome of the West, this this outpost before you reach the plains of, of the Western U.S. And and here we are being the first then to send missionaries down to another country outside of the the U.S. I mean, that's really that's really cool and could sh- should be a source of pride for a diocese. <laughs> yes, it really, it should be. Yes. Uh, so what's it like for those three priests, and who are the priests down there now currently serving, and what's their sort of routine? What are they encountering? What are they experiencing? <laughs> a routine? I don't know that there's a particular routine. Yeah, that's it's the thing just... that they say. They start out with a plan, but it gets derailed. <laughs> yeah. the, and pretty much they never sleep. Uh, they just go, go, go. But it's Father Jim Mickler, mm-hmm. um, uh, and he's been there since 1991, I believe. Uh, and then Father Patrick Hayden. He is actually the for the diocese down there. He is actually the dean, the the, the north dean of uh, of the and diocese. And he's the pastor of the parish. And he's okay. the pastor of and the and the parish is Maria Reina. Maria Reina. Maria Reina. Yes. And it has sixty thousand parishioners. Is that right? I think it's mentioned. Father Jim, Father Patrick Hayden, and then fa- young Father Timothy Nelker, who was just ordained in two thousand ten. He's down there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have three priests. We have three priests there. However, yes. It covers the the parishioner size is sixty thousand. So um, between Father Jim, Father Patrick, and and Father Timothy, there's three priests for sixty thousand people in their parish. Now the parish has the church. It also has several chapels. Um, fourteen. Fourteen. <laughs> That's more That's than several, 14. I suppose. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they're responsible for having masses at all of those places yeah. uh, all the time too. Plus. They go up to the village up in Calamarca. Because people don't have transportation like we do. They mm-hmm. don't have the cars. So they have to walk down these, these oh, yeah. hills, which isn't so bad. But then they have to walk back up. So well, it, You have to be yeah. more than a mountain goat. Right. And honestly, Joe, I mean, 
the women and men, I'm sorry, I'm a woman, so I'm going to look for the, the ladies. Uh, the, you know, we're thinking little old ladies here, and they're carrying, like, all their fruit and vegetables that they're going to go sell at the market. Like, what does that look like, Joe? One of those packs of, it's like it's a, like, yeah. it's just a, they wrap everything up in a sheet, like a, like a blanket, mm-hmm. and they just carry it on their heads and on their backs. And it must, honestly, it must weigh 75 yeah. pounds. And, and they put me to shame. Honestly, it, it is so steep that I could barely walk it. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really precarious. And everybody's right on top of each other so you can't go too far it's I know just, just like impossible in doing a little bit of research for this i just looked up on google maps the you know kind of the satellite image of it and and you can see just in the the way the streets are laid out how packed everything is back. and everything is a switchback yeah to get up uh-huh. to, yeah yeah i mean i i think st louis is bad <laughs> the streets not going straight and oh it, yeah no, 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 I, no like it was i was getting you know nauseous just looking at the at the <laughs> image of trying to <laughs> imagining trying to keep track of my directions there so yeah. i can only imagine that adding the altitude and the the uh, degree you know the angles uh must be must be incredible yeah and, it's hard to get around yeah, yeah it certainly is so um you you know your work with the photos i, I keep coming back to but there's one really compelling picture here um uh, of the health clinic at the parish, right? Oh. And this is, I mean, when we talk about, you know, the U.S., I mean, people who've gone on mission trips to, to other countries know, kind of, they've seen some of these things, but maybe for the person who hasn't been on those mission trips, to have a, a parish with a health clinic and all the other services that are offered through these parishes is something we don't often see here. Right. So there's this one compelling picture here on uh, page 17 of the Catholic St. Louis magazine with uh, the doctor helping this, this gentleman. What's the story behind this, this photo uh, of the health clinic. Okay, well, it is pretty incredible that they have a, a health clinic. I mean, and that's done through contributions to to the mission right. office. Right, it's, it's St. Mean, Louis is what funds it. The people pay, uh, they have a fee that they pay, but mm-hmm. it's very minimal for them. It says you're specifically funded by the uh, uh, Latin America Apostolate and yeah. St. Barnabas Parish in O'Fallon. Yes. So we want to thank the... St. Oh Barnabas my goodness! For their generosity. No. Oh, and the fathers do thank them. I mean, how many times did mm-hmm. they say they were? I mentioned them a lot. When we, yeah, when we were down there, but um, yeah, it's incredible because you know healthcare is just outrageous. There, it's not good and it's terribly expensive, and so people look old real quick uh, because they've suffered since infancy um, with their bodies just trying to struggle through life. With without, we we take for granted that we have had vaccinations or we can get a flu shot or, you know, I, I have a this, that, or the other, and I can go to the doctor and he can help me with my kidney malfunction or whatever. But they have nothing. And yeah. you can tell the story of the gentleman who was getting his arm. Um, okay, well, yeah, well, I'll just <laughs> tell you this. Okay, so the picture that you're referring to, Gabe, uh, we go to the clinic and I'm kind of asking around, you know, does anyone kind of mind if I go in <laughs> and see their doctor visit? Um, and, you know, I have to say this in my best uh, Spanish. Um, and this one gentleman said, okay, yeah, you can come in. And he had his arm, like, underneath his coat. And so I didn't really know what was wrong with him. I mean, he could have had a sore throat or, you know, an earache or something. He was going to see the doctor. But we get, instead, we get into the room, and he takes his arm out from underneath the coat, and he puts it down. Uh, on the, you know, like the table there with the doctor. And the doctor says, oh, what's going on? And, you know, my Spanish is 
good enough to know that it was muy mal, so it wasn't good. But uh, he took the dressing off the man's arm, and he had a wound in his arm where I could, all right, close your ears. Those was squeamish, <laughs> with squeamish stomachs. But he had a hole through his entire arm where he was working in construction at a house, and there was an accident, and a and a metal bar went right through it, and. The picture is not graphic. So no, no, you, no, you the can picture open is not graphic. No, I tried really hard. I tried really hard not to show it at the angle that I got to see it myself. <clears throat> but um, uh, and the doctor said, "Well, you know, what's going on? When did this happen?" Oh, it didn't happen that day. The man's been suffering with this for like three weeks. Wow. Three weeks, and he couldn't get to a doctor, and this was all the way through his arm. So anyway, thank uh, thank all good souls, uh, the doctor was able to, you know clean out his wound and stitch him up and, you know, have him, you know, send him home with a little bit of antibiotics. But <laughs> if that had happened to you or I or one of our children, boy, I, you know, I don't think I'd be waiting three weeks. Yeah, I'd be and complaining. He was, for he was going back to work the same day. Oh, yeah. And he was yeah. going back to work the because he couldn't day. afford yeah. to yeah. not to. He's like, I can do it with one arm. He was mixing cement. Oh, my goodness. Wow. With one arm. So, Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, the stories that I'm sure there's plenty more. Is there anything else, you know, anything that sticks out in your mind from your, your visit there? A story or a particular site you saw? Uh, I know <laughs> you guys were posting the videos of the band. Playing during your, oh, that's kind of funny, actually. <laughs> the story about the band playing. Right every day when you were trying to get your writing done. <laughs> but yeah. that story, is there anything else? That you can tell that story. Well, but, uh, Joe, well, Joe, we have to explain. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the, so. The, it's right next to the soccer stadium. The parish. The parish is. Right. And Joe Kenny, this is your favorite part. Their every favorite part of the pond. Hours. Which hours. is remarkable hours. that there can be flat enough land for a soccer stadium, right? In this it must have been the only place. It was the only place in town, and it's, yes. the, it's the only spot, yeah. Yes, and the Copa was going on in the United States, so all the South American teams were not playing, but the band was practicing. Every they, day. Every day, and they knew one every song. Every day. And they didn't know it very well, <laughs> and, and so they would practice it for hours in the afternoon. <laughs> right, right under Joe's window. Right under my window. Oh, and there was lots of drums yes. and crashing of cymbals. It was the same, same thing over oh. and over, over Joe, and over. You loved it. Yeah, so it was kind of fun. But Joe, there's such a variety. Such a there's variety. a variety same of songs. Thing. Over and over and over. Over and over and over. Yeah, it's rough. And that, that video is uh, on, on one of your Facebook pages, oh, I yeah, think, somewhere. or some, somewhere out there online. I think I posted online. it, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I mean, you got the work, the work done, and it's, it's good work, but right. I'm sure it wasn't easy because of that. And then all that beautiful... Uh, besides that, was there anything that really well, jumped well, out to you? Why don't you talk, talk about Cochabamba? Yeah. Um, a little bit about Cochabamba was the... We went to the orphanages, and um, just the kids are just amazing. They're they've so resilient from what they've been through. They, a lot of them have been through uh, parents who are drug addicted, and they've been they've been abandoned and mistreated. Some of them, and they're just very sweet kids. 
uh, at the one home, they've, they've taught them baseball, which is really unusual <laughs> in Bolivia because it's yeah. not a big baseball place. But mm-hmm. they, these kids love baseball, and you know, so we've given them some of our culture that they're enjoying there, too. Well, Joe, there's, there's two things in particular that stand out to me about Cochabamba. And, and one was the story of Sister um, Mary Therese. Mm-hmm. And she's a precious blood sister down there. And she works at all three of the Pania Moore programs, funded programs at the, at the various orphanages. Um, and she's been working there. How long, Joe, has she been down there? Oh, it's uh, been many years. For, yeah, yeah, many, many years. Yes. Okay. But she's looking young as ever. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. She's a hustler. Yes. She doesn't stop. Well, anyways. Um, Seems to be a theme among the. You, you have the, to be. You have yes. to be missionaries a hustler. down there. Yeah. Um, well, I said, sister, you know, you have all these children um, over the years. You know, is there is there one kind of story that stands out for you? And she said, well, there happens to be. And there was a little boy sitting on her knee when. She, when she was talking about this. And she said it was uh, right before Christmas when they got a knock on the door. Now, Christmas for them is the same day as it is here, December 25th. However, that's the middle of summer for them, okay? Mm-hmm. We're having a shift in hemisphere. Right, right. So, uh, but they're up pretty high, so it's not hot there. It's pretty cool in the evening. So maybe, maybe the temps were down in the 50s or the 40s, I'm not sure. But she said it was cold. And uh, they opened the door, and there was a man, and he was in a panic, and he had a bundle in his arms. And he opens a bundle, and it's a baby. And it was new newborn baby, and he said, I didn't know where to go. I found this child with no clothes in, the, in an alleyway, abandoned, and I could only think to come to you. And sister said, well, you, you brought him to the right place. And from that moment, the, they started searching to see if they could locate the child's, you know, parents or some kind of a relative or the authorities look through everything and they couldn't find his home. So they took him in at the orphanage and sister called him Emmanuel <laughs> because he came at Christmas. How appropriate. How appropriate. Yeah. And uh, how old is he now, Joe? He's about maybe three four years old this is on yeah. so this is one of her more recent you know loves of her life i suppose mm-hmm. um she loves all the children but i think he gets a little special treatment <laughs> he, he was a christmas he's the present. christmas present yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. and there's a really neat picture of uh sister uh mary therese uh in the the orphanage i guess with the the clothes in the background and the, and the kids lined up ready to you know, <laughs> yes, have diaper their, change have their diaper, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um and there, there was a, as I, I showed this to you, you said there's another story about um, a lady who does all the laundry. Yeah. Uh, that was a, another home. Yeah. A, yeah. a different, okay, a different yeah. location. But Isn't it? No, that's, oh, it's it still, it's Solomon Klein. Okay. Um, so there's a woman named Daisy, and when we first arrived, Joe was busy doing interviews, and I started wandering around, as I'm apt to do. And there was a woman, and she was outside at a spigot, and she was washing clothes by hand. And... I just, she was in beautiful light, and I felt like talking to her and taking some pictures, so I did. And then she would go, when she was done washing them, she took them and hang them on lines. And there are clotheslines around the entire complex. So between, like, buildings, between classrooms, 
right around the uh, the the jump uh, the playground, everywhere there's laundry lines. And this is Daisy's story. Daisy grew up in that orphanage, uh, and when it came time for her to be her own, you know, emancipated self, she said, "I'm going to work here, and I want to give back to the people who raised me." And now Daisy, every day, hand washes 7,000 pieces of laundry a day wow. by hand and hangs them up to dry. It, it was one of the most incredible acts of selfless love um, that, I've, that I've got to see. Yeah, you don't see that. Another favorite story of mine was we were coming back from the missionaries of charity. Father Nelker celebrated Mass there. And we're going down, which is really good. We were happy we were going <laughs> down. Yeah, 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 that's true. <laughs> and air, more Father action. Nelker was approached by a, a person, probably homeless. Um, anyway, he was a, a hungry person. And uh, they got to talking a little bit. And uh, so he he walked. He asked him to walk with him for a while. And, he, and the gentleman walked with him for a while. And then he stopped uh, in front of a woman who was selling bread on the street. And she had a problem with her knee, I believe it was, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And she had some trouble. So he talked to her, and he blessed her, and he asked her to go to the clinic. But he bought bread from her and gave it to the uh, to the gentleman who seemed to be homeless. And that was just so, you know, to me, it was very incredible to see what he does and what he means. To, you know, it's just, it's just an everyday thing for mm -hmm. him. It was no, no big deal. But... But for me, it was very touching. Well, Listen, Joe, I know this is going to be a strange comparison, but that's the way my mind works. It was like Fred Astaire and Dancing in the Rain. <laughs> you know how Fred Astaire just kind of like goes down the street and he's kind of just got all the movements? Well, Father, in a really... Oh, Gene, Gene Kelly. Yeah. And Dancing in the no. Rain? Oh, it's Gene yeah. Kelly, Gene oh, for Kelly, Pete's yeah. sake. Okay, yeah. so... Get your references. I'm right. sorry. Right, right. So, <laughs> okay. okay, so Dancing... Right. Anyway, this kind of like, in a way, the way father goes down the street and people just come up to him and talk to him and ask him things and he just kind of like flows from one act of generosity and uh, blessing to another mm -hmm. and it, it it's just kind of like a spiral a dance as as he goes through the yeah. streets it, it, it's it's beautiful it was yeah. absolutely beautiful really being as pope francis you know always kind of calls priests to be kind of uh, smelling like the sheep, right? I mean, that's kind of, <laughs> you really get to see that on display when you're down there and you see these missionaries at work. All right? three of them, uh, when they went, they, they go out a lot. They don't just stay no, inside. They no, go they're out not. And, and they, they're known by all the people along the streets. So people come up and greet them and are happy to see them and tell them their problems. And he says, that's why their day is not very structured because they'll run into somebody and they'll say, Oh, I so and so died, and I, you know, we need we need a priest to come over, you right. know, or mm -hmm. whatever. We come bless our house. Yeah, There's a lot of house, house blessings. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's how it works. You can hear part two of this interview with Joe Kenny and Lisa Johnston on next week's episode of the Catholic Gateway Podcast. And now the quintessentials, the top five things you need to know from the St. Louis Review. The first story is from Joe Kenny. He writes about homes supported by Pani Amor, a program of the Archdiocesan Mission Office, and how these homes give life to abandoned needy children in Bolivia. The programs pro provide a stable place where the children experience love and safety. We also have a story from Dave Luking on the red carpet treatment that St. Anthony School in Sullivan rolled out to welcome students for the first day of school. 
The St. Louis Review will feature other schools and the amazing ways they incorporate their faith into the classroom in the special back-at-school section on September 12th. Jennifer Brinker writes about a Webster Groves couple who received a grant from the Archbishop Carlson Adoption Fund earlier this year and how they have opened their hearts and home in adopting 11 children from China. Jesuit father Ronnie O'Dwyer brings faith-filled, enthusiastic approach to Billiken Teacher Corps, a program which places college students as teachers in underserved Catholic schools for two years. This story from Joe Kenny called Teach Me focuses on Father Dwyer and his focus on the words Teach Me from St. Ignatius of Loyola's Prayer for Generosity. Finally, Fontbonne University is welcoming Father Spiritus Comanzi as chaplain. Dave Luking tells us about the university's hopes that the presence of a full-time chaplain will enhance Catholic identity. Father Comanzi hopes to increase focus on the Mass as a celebration. You can also read Archbishop Carlson's column this week, Truth of the Faith Counters Hype of Elections, where Archbishop tells us to look to St. Paul as an example of faith. He encourages us to plain talk faith rather than embellish our talk with eloquence. Also, Pope Francis's message, Jesus's compassion is a call to service, not a vague sentiment. And Pope Francis calls us to reflect on Jesus's compassion and apply it towards our own lives and towards others. You can read all these stories and more online at stlouisreview.com or in the printed version of the St. Louis Review, dated August 22nd through 28th. Make sure to follow the St. Louis Review on Twitter, St. Louis Review, that's at St. Louis Review. Uh, Previously, uh, they had an underscore in there, uh, which they've since removed, so it'll make it a little easier for you to find it. So St. Louis Review, at St. Louis Review on Twitter, or the Archdiocese, which is at ArchSTL. We hope you'll join us again on next week's episode where we look into the canonization of Blessed Mother Teresa. I'll talk to Father Rosie, pastor of Blessed Teresa Parish in Ferguson, and some of the missionaries of charity here in St. Louis. We'll also hear part two of my interview with Joe Kenny and Lisa Johnston about their trip to Bolivia. Thank you for listening to the Catholic Gateway Podcast. We hope you'll join us again next time. The Catholic Gateway Podcast is a production of the Archdiocese of St. Louis.